This is Rachel Fields with your local news, coming to you live from the WORT studios in beautiful downtown Madison. In an unusual act of bipartisanship for Wisconsin's two U.S. Senators, Republican Ron Johnson and Democrat Tammy Baldwin have introduced a bill to remove protections for the gray wolf, reports the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. The two senators introduced the bill last week. The move follows an order by a federal judge in California to restore protections for wolves after their removal from the endangered species list near the end of the Trump administration. In a statement, Johnson said Wisconsin residents should have a say in wolf management, while Baldwin explained in her own statement that she believes federal officials should allow the state to manage the strong wolf population. The bill was introduced early last week and has since gained support from both of Wyoming's Republican U.S. Senators. Governor Tony Evers has signed two bipartisan bills that make small tax law changes in order to help Wisconsin restaurants and small businesses in the wake of financial difficulties due to COVID-19. The first bill creates tax deductions on grants received through the Restaurant Revitalization Fund, a program created last year that provides emergency assistance for businesses impacted by the pandemic. The second bill increases the maximum amount that individuals can claim in net capital loss deductions from 500 to 3,000, which Evers says will align state law with federal law. That's according to reporting from the Capital Times. Severe weather brought a tornado to Stoughton over the weekend. Wisconsin Public Radio reports that the F1 twister touched ground just outside Stoughton Saturday night and traveled a total of five miles as it entered the town. Stoughton Mayor Tim Swadley says that there were no injuries from the tornado, though it left around 7,000 people without power. Swadley declared a state of emergency earlier today as cleanup continues, though all power has been restored. Despite the confirmation that a tornado did touch down, Swadley says that tornado sirens did not go off to warn Stoughton residents. Swadley says the sirens were tested just a few days before the storm and is waiting for answers from the National Weather Service on why those sirens never went off. Stoughton is no stranger to tornadoes, unfortunately. In 2005, an F3 tornado struck the city, leaving dozens injured and one dead. The Dane County Board of Supervisors has officially approved additional funding to build a new jail, meaning the jail consolidation project can finally begin to move forward. Isthmus reports that a substitute resolution for a scaled-down vision of a new Dane County jail, which was introduced just one day before the vote, passed on a 29-7 vote last Thursday. The new resolution, although pared down from the original plan, would still require $16 million more than what was originally budgeted for. The board spent over three hours debating the new resolution, with some board members saying it would be improper to pass the resolution after having little time to read it. In the wake of Dane County's mask mandate expiration, the Madison School District suddenly ended their contract with their on-site COVID-19 test provider. District spokesperson Tim Lamonds told the Wisconsin State Journal that the pause in testing services at schools was due to a transition to a new vendor. Lamonds said that switching vendors was not the district's decision, but rather the decision of the Wisconsin Department of Health Services. 
DHS confirms that the district has discontinued services with the vendor called COVID Clinic and is further gathering information about the situation. The abrupt ending of the contract creates a huge financial blow for California-based COVID Clinic, which was assigned to 40 Wisconsin school districts to contact on-site COVID-19 tests. And those are today's headlines. And this just in, we are in the 2022 Winter Pledge Drive here at WORT. We have two special guests with us here in the studio tonight. They are Helena White and Rob McClure, and they're here to invite you to join us on this people-powered radio project. Welcome. That's right. It's Helena White here with Rob McClure, and I'm excited to be here. I haven't been in the station on Monday night during local news for quite a long time now. It used to be my uh, role to be down here and running around madly trying to get the news together. It was a lot of fun, and I did it for many years. So thank you, everybody out there who has been pledging to the radio station all these years and keeping us going. We do come to you every uh, about three or four times a year. We come to you and we ask for your financial support. Otherwise, we do not have commercial breaks. We do not have advertisements that we play on this radio station. We do not have any corporations that are in charge of us and telling us what to do or providing financial um, support and then um, having editorial control over our news broadcasts. So we are free and independent, and let's keep it that way. And the way we do that is having you call us at 608-256-2001, press extension 1, or go to wortfm.org and pledge online by clicking the donate button. Yes, I encourage you to do that, Helena. You and I are both sort of long timers down here on the, on the news. And we want to thank one other long timer. Thank you very much. Harry Richardson, who Yay! who may have as uh, long of, of a uh, history in the local news as I do, or pretty close. Goes He's been there since back. the beginning. Yes. <laughs> so Harry Richardson has been a, a long-standing both supporter of the station monetarily and mm. uh, with his feet, as mm-hmm. it were, with his mm-hmm. mouth. So, uh, in fact, you'll hear his mouth a little bit later. So thank you very much, Harry. Join Harry in supporting the local news here on this station. As Helena was mentioning, we don't get any commercial support beyond the handful of uh, local businesses who su- who support the station in the same way that you individuals out there do. But we need to keep this new station, this new show, independent of commercial influence. And there's only one way basically that can happen, and that's for you to pay for it directly rather than having uh, us get some money from advertisers and stick those advertisers in your ears. So if you appreciate that, give us a call at 256-2001, line one, when you when it rings up, or go on wortfm.org and uh, make a pledge there on the orange donate button. You'll see it right away. We still haven't gotten a web pledge this evening, so no. we'd like to see a few. And I want to let you know, Harry likes local news, a public affair, and labor radio. So Harry, no surprise, is a big news junkie. And maybe you are too. Maybe you're listening to local news and you're saying, wow, you know, there are so many really interesting features that come up on a regular basis. we got Harry's movie review, but also Harry's This Day in History. I really mm-hmm. enjoy that. Yes. I learned so much when I would edit edit that with Harry. Um, back in the old days. And uh, there are many other uh, regular features that come on throughout the week. So you might say, oh, man, you know, I really enjoy 
this feature or that feature. I just really enjoy the local news. I enjoy hearing about this information. I don't hear it anywhere else on the radio dial. So if that's you, then please give us a call at 608-256-2001. Press extension 1 or go to WORTFM.org. No amount is too small. No amount is too big. You can even donate on a monthly basis. Hey, maybe you say... I can afford five bucks a month. I can afford 10 bucks a month. And that quickly adds up over time. And that really helps out the station. And if the more people we have donating on a monthly basis, then we can have fewer pledge drives. That's good to remember. And it's easier on your pocketbook if you donate as an evergreen donator. So do consider that. Five or $10 a month means a lot to us. And it pays for what goes on in this station. So... Call us at 256-2001, line one, and we'll go right back to the news with Rachel Fields. The racial gap in home ownership in Wisconsin is steadily growing, according to a new report by the Wisconsin Policy Forum. They found that only 25% of black households in the state own their home. Here in Madison, that percentage is even lower. A new report cites a lack of diversity in the city and the rising costs of home ownership. WORT producer Nate Wegehout has more. 15% of black households in Madison own their home, compared to over 50% of white households. That's according to a report released last Friday by the nonpartisan Wisconsin Policy Forum. The report, which draws on 2019 census data, outlines how the disparities in home ownership between white, black, and Hispanic households in Wisconsin have steadily grown over the past decade. Joe Peterangelo is a senior researcher with the Wisconsin Policy Forum and wrote this report. He says that the racial divide is even larger than he was anticipating. What we found is that there are large racial gaps in homeownership uh, in all of the five largest cities in the state. And then we also looked at the statewide numbers and we found big gaps everywhere. We actually had done previous research on Milwaukee that had found big racial gaps in homeownership in Milwaukee. And that led us to look across the state. And so what we found is all of the other cities have even bigger racial gaps than Milwaukee does. And the statewide numbers also are look worse than Milwaukee's do. While home ownership across the board has dropped in the state due to rising housing costs, a disproportionate amount of black households no longer own their home compared to white households. Across Wisconsin, black home ownership dropped by over 7% since 2010, while white home ownership only dropped by around 1% in that same time frame. The report cites a growing income gap between black and white households as a contributing cause of this disparity. In 2019, the medium income for a white household in Wisconsin was just under $65,000 a year. But for black households, the medium income in Wisconsin sat at just above $31,000 a year. Over the last decade, the medium income of white households in Wisconsin increased by 20%, while the medium income for black households only rose 13%. Peter Angelo says that the large racial gaps in home ownership is a uniquely Wisconsin problem. Some of the factors that contribute to the home ownership gaps are things that are were national issues and are historic issues of discrimination, things like redlining that prevented people from purchasing homes in certain areas or getting a mortgage in certain areas. So some of that continues to have an effect. 
But then, like I said, we also have these really big income gaps, especially here in Wisconsin. One issue with this data, however, is that it may already be out of date using figures from before the COVID-19 pandemic. Because home prices rose during the pandemic, the already existing racial divide in homeownership may have grown even more over the past two years, says the report. The issue is even greater here in Madison. Madison is the least diverse of the state's five largest cities, with around 69% of the population registering as white in the 2020 census. Black folks only make up around 7% of the city's population. Madison also has the most expensive housing market of Wisconsin's five largest cities. In 2019, the median home value in Madison was over $246,000. That's almost $100,000 more than the next most expensive city of Kenosha. Dr. Ruben Anthony is the president of the Urban League of Greater Madison. He says that this issue is not going away anytime soon. I don't see the challenge and the disparities changing fast, you know, here in Madison and Dane County. And largely it's because of the scarcity of homes uh, and, and just the scarcity of um, space because Madison has a 2% vacancy rate. So landlords, you know, have their choice of like who they can um, rent to. And certainly, um, you know, a lot of African-American families can't get into bidding wars with uh, companies that are coming in and buying up properties in areas like South Park Street and other, and other places. They just can't afford it. And so affordability is a big barrier. Dr. Anthony says that although he sees many issues with Madison housing, both the Urban League of Greater Madison and the city are taking steps to increase home ownership for black families. Uh, we had a housing program uh, with the Urban League early on where the 15-year lease-to-own program, uh, through that program, we were able to train people about, you know, home ownership and uh, to give them, uh, actually, after 15 years, uh, a home. We did that to with 57 families. After um, that, over the last year and a half or so, um, we started a program called Housing 2.0. Um, with our Housing 2.0, um, we've got a $5 million new market tax credit to make people homeowners uh, right away. In 2020, the organization launched a $5 million initiative to help black Madisonians buy their own homes. Last year, Madison Mayor Satya Rhodes-Conway released the Housing Forward Plan. The plan says that by 2040, the city of Madison could see 70,000 new residents, and the supply of housing has not kept up with the growing population. The plan aims to make it easier for private developers to construct new affordable housing in the city, while also setting aside money for the city to purchase lots to build their own affordable housing. While the Housing Forward Plan does not specifically target black homeowners in Madison, it does acknowledge the large racial disparities that exist throughout the city. Action is also taking place at the state level. Earlier today, Governor Tony Evers announced the Help for Homeowners program. The program, with the help of the Wisconsin Community Action Program Association, or WISCAP, aims to use $92 million in funds from the Federal American Rescue Plan Act to help homeowners struggling to pay their mortgage. The state, with the help of WISCAP, will help homeowners pay mortgage payments and property taxes for those who sit at or below 100% of the area's median income. Here in Madison, that's around $72,000 a year for a single-person family. Brad Paul, the executive director of WISCAP, says that although the program does not specifically target black homeowners, it could help existing black homeowners stay in their homes. 
Peter Angelo, the author of the report, says he anticipates another report on how the pandemic has affected this divide next year. A 2020 report from the National Association of Realtors found that Wisconsin is third from the bottom in its rate of black home ownership as compared to white counterparts. Reporting for WORT News, I'm Nate Wuggiehout. Leaders in Wisconsin's Republican-controlled legislature are seeking to push the state's redistricting battle before the nation's highest court. The move comes after the Wisconsin Supreme Court last week approved voting maps submitted by Democratic Governor Tony Evers. Jonah Chester from the Wisconsin News Connection has the story. Wisconsin's Republican lawmakers are seeking to push the state's decennial redistricting battle before the U.S. Supreme Court after the Wisconsin Supreme Court approved voting maps submitted by Democratic Governor Tony Evers. In November, the state court said it would take a least changes approach when approving a new map, and last Thursday it determined the governor's plan most closely met that rule. But Deborah Cronmiller with the League of Women Voters of Wisconsin, which also proposed voting maps to the court, says even that decision was a bittersweet victory, as Evers' maps still are based on gerrymandered districts from 2011. Using the least change approach meant all of us who submitted maps for consideration were kind of boxed into a map that would retain certain amount of partisan gerrymander. While Evers' plan will keep the GOP in control of the legislature, Democrats generally praised the state high court's decision, as the Republicans' maps will likely increase their control of state government and Wisconsin's congressional seats. Republican leaders argue Evers' maps moved too many black and Hispanic voters, which Senate Majority Leader Devin Lemahue said, quote, intentionally watered down minority representation for political gain, unquote. Wisconsin's current maps were drawn and passed by GOP lawmakers a decade ago when they controlled the legislature and governor's office. Cronmiller says even if Evers' maps are still somewhat gerrymandered, that can be overcome through strong voter participation. The calculus baked into any partisan-drawn map is assumptions around who is going to come to vote. And if we disrupt that calculus by sending all registered and eligible voters to the polls, All bets are off. Legislative Republicans have asked the Wisconsin Supreme Court to hold off on implementing the new maps until the U.S. Supreme Court weighs in. As of Sunday evening, the state's high court hadn't indicated whether or not it would do so. Assuming they survive any further legal challenges, Evers' maps will be in place for the next decade. For the Wisconsin News Connection, I'm Jonah Chester. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. And those are today's top stories. But before we bring you any more news, Helena and Rob would like a word with you. How's the pledge drive going? Well, you know, Rachel, it's going a little slow just now. We had that one pledge at the beginning of the top of the hour, and we're looking for some more pledges at 256-2001. I'm here with Helena White this evening, and we are looking to support a very unique experiment in uh, mostly volunteer-produced local news, a full hour of it. Four nights a week on this station. I know. Where else on the radio dial do you get one hour, one whole hour of local news? I mean, there are other news sources that might give you like, you know, five minutes once an hour. But this is an entire hour. And we know you appreciate that. And we know you appreciate the fact that you heard about racial disparities in um, Wisconsin and, and home ownership. And that we also heard about uh, the maps, the voting maps that are, are coming up. And, and I think Dave wants to tell me something. Oh. Hey, guys. This is Dave. We've got a, uh, a pledge online. Oh, oh sweet. nice. That's our first of the evening. And it is uh, Jade, 
makes a, a, a name that rings a bell in, at WRT. Thank you, Jade. Jade says, I'm a big fan of the, of the evening news on Wart. Enjoys the feature, Bridging the Gap. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Jade. We yes, really thank appreciate you. that. So be like Jade. She went to WORTFM.org, or you can dial 608-256-2001, press like extension 1. Yep. yep. Press extension 1, and you can speak to our phone answerer. They'll walk you through. It's very simple. It's very painless. And we'd love to hear from somebody who's never donated before. That would be nice. We need always need new pledgers. Uh, people come and go in this town quite a bit, so we're always looking for brand new pledgers to the station. If you've listened for a while, uh, found this station to be interesting, if you appreciate this kind of local news, give us a call at 256-2001 or go online you at wortfm.org as uh, helena was mentioning uh, the i i the uh, meatiness of the stories that you hear on this local news uh, station on this local news show uh, are not the sort of thing you're going to find certainly not on commercial radio um the as you were mentioning the the story about the um about housing disparities in the city, the fact that the um, the city has such a housing shortage, and the fact that it's driving the prices of housing up uh, to such an extent that we're I had no idea that this was that much the that that extreme of being the uh, I'm having trouble yeah. with my words today being the most expensive city in which to live mm-hmm. in Wisconsin this, and right now. But that's the kind of coverage that you get on the station. Four nights a week, you get plenty of interviews and uh, fully-fledged news stories about uh, in-depth issues. So if you appreciate that and the fact that it can't be had without uh, being free of commercials, give us a call and support the news at 256-2001. And we're all volunteers, too. That's the other amazing thing. We have a very small number of people who are paid staff members, and the rest of the people are like two or 300 people a week are coming through the station volunteers volunteering their time to do news, public affairs programming, and music. So give us a call at 608-256-2001, press extension 1, or go to wortfm.org and pledge by clicking the donate button. We're going to go back to that great local news now. Oh, no, we're going to go a little bit for longer. And I just really would like to say that um, I would love to, if you have been listening for a little while but you've never pledged before, I would really like to encourage you to take that jump, take that leap, take that step, and join the WORT family, 608-256-2001. We've got a lot more stories for you coming up in the second half of the show. Stay with us. Bridging the Gap looks at the cyclical nature of fashion. The Past Isn't Past gives a history lesson on the firebombing of Tokyo and two new movie reviews. But now we'll take a quick break and we'll check in on some world headlines. Back in a flash. The time is now 6.32, and you're listening to the local news on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. I'm your host, Rachel Fields. Thanks for joining us. As we rightly condemn the Russian invasion of Ukraine, 
We remember our nation's history of targeting civilians during war. Feature contributor Harry Richardson tells the story of the U.S. military firebombing of Tokyo and over 100 other Japanese cities in World War II. For Joe Hill and Cesar Chavez, who fought in their own time. For our brothers and our sisters, up and down that picket line. For the unnamed and unnumbered, who struggle brave and long. For the Union men and women, standing up and standing strong. This Wednesday and Thursday, March 9th and 10th, mark the anniversary of the firebombing of Tokyo in 1945. The nighttime raids of Boeing B-29 bombers dropped incendiary bombs on a working-class neighborhood in Tokyo. The bombs destroyed 16 square miles, killing between 80 and 100,000 people and injuring close to a million. Another million were left homeless, making it the most destructive single air attack in human history. Out of the 279 American bombers, the Japanese Air and Civil Defenses downed only 14 American aircraft, killing 96 airmen. The scalding inferno caused canals to boil, metal to melt, and people on the ground to spontaneously burst into flame. The man in charge of the U.S. attack, General Curtis LeMay, said the victims had scorched and boiled and baked to death. After Tokyo, the United States firebombed over 100 cities in Japan according to Japanese scholar Yuki Tanaka. By May, 75% of bombs dropped were incendiaries designed to burn down Japan's paper cities, said historian Peter Kuznick, who co-wrote The Untold History of the United States with Oliver Stone. Over 90% of the city of Toyama was destroyed, causing U.S. Secretary of War Henry Stimson to tell President Truman that he, quote, didn't want the United States to get the reputation of outdoing Hitler in atrocities, end quote though Stimson did almost nothing to stop the slaughter. He believed the Air Force had General Henry Arnold when he promised he would limit damage to civilians. Future Defense Secretary Robert McNamara, who was on LeMay's staff in 1945, agreed with LeMay's assessment that if the United States lost the war, they'd all be tried for war crimes and deserve to be convicted. Thanks to wartime propaganda and racism, hatred of the Japanese ran so deep in the U.S. that almost no one objected to the mass slaughter of civilians. General Arnold felt that 90% of Americans would have killed every Japanese. Brigadier General Bonner Fellers called the firebombing of Tokyo one of the most ruthless and barbaric killings of non-combatants in human history. Katsumoto Saotome was 12 when the incendiary bombs were dropped in his neighborhood. He was shaken from his sleep and barely escaped with his family. He recalls the B-29s were flying so low that the crimson flames from the ground reflected on the silvery metal underbellies of the craft. It almost looked like tropical fish flying above. The flames were everywhere. People desperately held on to their children, but the blasts from the bombs blew some away. His family saw charred bodies piled in the Sumida River and on its banks. Many people probably died trying to fight the flames since the law forbade civilian evacuation. For a child who did not know the true meaning of death or fear, March 10th was my first experience of that, Sa Otome said. I have nothing to describe the memory of that night. It is difficult for me to talk about even now. There is no public memorial solely dedicated to those who died in the Tokyo firebombing. Although most casualties were civilians, they were not often remembered. This may be because Japan itself committed atrocities during the war and because Japan didn't want to upset its post-war American occupiers. I think people did not want to see or know 
said Saotome in 2020. He is a survivor who spent 50 years collecting and publishing survivors' accounts and 30 years seeking fruitlessly public funding for a museum. Undeterred, Sa Atome raised private donations and opened a small museum 20 years ago. Atomic bombing survivors shared their eyewitness accounts shortly after the war, but the Tokyo firebombing victims did not tell their stories until 1970, largely through Sa Otome's efforts. He wonders, the people who are from a slightly older generation than me, he said, why were they silent? The United States government justly talks about the cruelty of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but the U.S. has targeted civilians in war on a grand scale, including firebombing Tokyo and over 100 other cities, followed by the dropping of two atom bombs, although the Japanese were ready to surrender. But that is a story for another day. For the past is the past, I'm Harry Richardson. Speaking of news, let's check in with Helena and Rob for the latest. All right. Well, after that sobering report from Harry, thank you, Harry. Give, always, always making sure that we are, uh, have a level head about our own U.S. history yes. and what we have done in this country to people uh, and in this country and, and around the world. So thank you, Harry. And Harry also pledged to the to local news this evening. Yes, he's one of two. And uh, things were quiet during that story by Harry as well. They might be because that was quite compelling. But I'd ask you now while we're talking, please go to the phone and call 256-2001, area code 608. You'll want line number one when you uh, ring in or go to wortfm.org and make a pledge to this local news. That was a remarkable report, uh, brought a lot of uh, history to me that I was not aware of. I knew that the uh, U.S. had done a fair bit of firebombing in addition to the atomic bombing during World War II. And I had heard about the firebombing of Dresden and a couple other German cities, but not so much or not at all really in Japan. And I can't help but think there's a reason that we know about, uh, I don't know, German cities and uh, places like uh, where sorry, white folks are, yeah. uh, and we don't hear about the other bombings. So, yeah. Harry, thank you very much for that story. If you appreciate getting that uh, uh, that uh, reacquaintance uh, with some history you might not have known, give us a call at 256-2001 and support the local news on Monday. That's right, or you can go to wortfm.org and pledge online. I'd like to encourage people to consider donating on a monthly basis. Uh, we have a minimum of $5. It'll come out of your checking account or your savings account. But you could say, hey, I can afford a bit more than 5 bucks. You can go to 10 or 20 25 100 We don't mind how much you want us to take out of your checking or savings account. But we'll do it on a monthly basis. And that way, we're able to get a ready supply, a consistent supply of money coming in. We can uh, anticipate how much money we're going to have. It's easier for our budgeting, and it just really helps with the stability of financial resources for the station. So give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 1, and, and tell the phone answerer that you'd like to sign up for the monthly donation. 
And if you can afford it, if you can afford $10 a month, you can pick up that delightful uh, retro WORT airline bag that everyone has been snatching up. Oh, so yes. uh, uh, consider that as well. Yes, the Evergreen Pledging is uh, really the way to do it. Not only does you, well, let's put it this way, your money really does go farther if you make a monthly commitment to support the station, because as Helena was mentioning, it's both easier on your pocketbook, it makes our accounting easier, and it actually eliminates the number of days that we have to come as we do a couple of times a year to ask you the listener to support this community radio station so it uh, we've already knocked about a week off yep. of the uh, what we used to do through a full three-week pledge drive sometimes or adding another week or two in the summer we've been able to reduce that so do consider if you're uh, if you do make regular pledges to this station do consider becoming an evergreen donor we would certainly appreciate it but we'd appreciate any calls at all right now, I can't believe there aren't more people out there who want to support the local <laughs> news. And I suspect our phones are ringing back oh, there. But some I'm more sure of you, they're ringing. Yes, go to the phones and uh, call up Gil. And I think there's one other phone answer back there. Make them have one phone <sighs> on each ear so that they're trying to take all the calls. 256-2001. Think about what you like about WRT. Is it the music? Is it the news? Is it the uh, public affairs programming? Is it 8 o'clock buzz? Is it... Uh, Pan-Africa on a Saturday? Is it some really funky late-night show that you listen to? Rock en Español? Or, you know, what is it that, that gets you excited about WRT? Or is it all of the above? We've got the Access Hour coming on later. You never know what's going to happen on the Access Hour. It's always really fun. Each week is going to be completely different. So think about what, what makes you love WRT. And then decide, is that is that enough... Does that is that worth ten bucks? Is that worth twenty bucks? Is that worth maybe five bucks a month? Is it worth a hundred bucks? What's it worth to you if you had to pay for that? Yes, I mean even at the rate of uh, ten dollars a month, if I can do my math on the fly here, that's uh, thirty cents, uh, thirty three cents a day or something. Uh, if you had to get up and plug thirty three cents in a meter every day to listen to the station, w- wouldn't you do it? That's pocket change on a day. What would you do if you d- couldn't uh, spend a a little bit of pocket change to listen to WORT throughout the year. So think of it that way and give us a call at 256-2001 or go online at wortfm.org and support this unique local news, an hour's worth, which takes uh, lots of people to produce every day. A lot of human mm-hmm. human power goes into mm-hmm. this daily news broadcast. So uh, Show your appreciation of that at 256-2001. And you may be somebody who, you know, you were a little bit stuck at home during the pandemic, or maybe the pandemic was kind of tough on you. Maybe you turned to WORT and you turned your radio on or you listened online, and maybe you really appreciated the fact that WORT just kept on plugging away and we were doing shows from our home, pre-recording them and sending them to the station and our very loyal paid staff were busy putting them on the air 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So if you found that the WRT was your pal during the pandemic and really helped you get through, then give us a call at 608-256-2001, press extension 1, and talk to the phone answerer and let them know how much you appreciate the station and you want to send us a little money. Or go to wortfm.org and pledge online by clicking the donate button. We, we would really appreciate We that. want to see a handful of cards come into the station and have a handful of people to thank when we come on in a few more moments. But for just now, we'll go back to Rachel for the rest of the day's news. 
The early 2000s is a time known for many things, but fashion is not one of them. But a turn of fashion-related events means that crop tops and low-rise jeans may be making a comeback. On this week's Bridging the Gap, feature contributor Teresa Yen walks us through the cyclical nature of fashion. The early 2000s was quite the time for fashion trends. Low-rise jeans, zigzag parts, and the thin brows trend. It's a time that many millennials would rather not look back on. This style of fashion trend is better known as the Y2K style. When looking back at the trendy outfits back then, many of us couldn't help but cringe. Former Disney Channel star Ashley Tisdale rocked the low-rise jeans and layers of t-shirts and tank tops back in the days on the red carpet. The internet made fun of her outfits, and Tisdale herself even acknowledged in a TikTok video that the outfits she wore to the red carpet events in the early 2000s were not great. However, Y2K fashion is slowly creeping back into the market, with celebrities like Bella Hadid and Dua Lipa posting their Y2K outfits on Instagram. The fashion industry has immediately taken on the trend and presented it as the mainstream fashion of 2022. This is Bridging the Gap, a weekly feature dedicated to exploring the connection and differences between generations. What are some of the key fashion items of Y2K fashion? Low-rise jeans are definitely at the top of the list. These jeans reach just around the hip bone. Tight-fitting baby tees were cropped to show off the torso. Claw clips put your hair into a messy bun. Butterfly clips lined up against your braided fringe veins. When it comes to makeup, it's less about contouring your face for the deeper structural look, but more about a play on colors. Pale pink and baby blue with frosted eyeshadows and lots of shiny lip gloss. These Y2K fashion trends were ditched in the early 2010s, and people started to ridicule the looks that were put together. So why is it making a comeback all of a sudden? Well, it's actually not that surprising once you learn about the fashion cycle. According to Masterclass.com, the fashion cycle consists of five stages. Introduction, increase, peak, decline, and obsolescence. Introduction is when a style is first introduced to the public, usually during a fashion show. Increase means the style is starting to get picked up by more and more people, and officially sets in as a trend with celebrities and influencers sporting the style. Retail stores also pick up on the trend in this stage. Peak means the style has reached saturation in the population and the style of clothing is now being sold in various stores with lower prices. Decline is when a trend has become too common that people are starting to turn away from the style. Obsolescence is the last stage, indicating that the style has ended its current lifespan and has become out of fashion. But being out of fashion for the time period does not mean the trend has died. The cycle can be restarted by going through the process once more. A resurgence of trends isn't new. It's common for trends to repeat every 20 years. Fashion editorial website Birdies, Eden Stewart, interviewed several experts on why Y2K fashion is making a comeback. Nostalgia plays a big role in fashion cycles. With the pandemic, nostalgia is stronger than ever with consumers craving for comfort and familiarity. Stewart's interview with Claire Vagra, head of beauty for the trend forecasting company WGSN, reveals that 
quote, The turmoil of the global events of the last two years, in particular the pandemic, shifted consumer needs significantly towards escapism and products that reminded them of better, more carefree times, as well as friends and places, end quote. Harper's Bazaar's Jess Sims reminds us of issues that come along with the Y2K resurgence. Low-rise jeans and baby tees are heavily tied in with the overt sexualization of the female body. Moreover, these outfits were tied to eating disorders as it promotes a body type that is highly unattainable. Not to mention that fat women and women of color were highly underrepresented in these fashion trends. Body positivity was not a thing back in the 2000s, thus the lack of fashion that were inclusive of all body types. Eden Stewart from Birdie even pointed out in her article that many of Y2K fashion items initially stemmed from marginalized cultures. Many of these clothing items weren't considered trendy until it was worn by white people. But we are not in the early 2000s anymore. Y2K fashion is coming back, but that doesn't mean it'll all be the same. Fashion is ever-changing, and so are we. Gen Z consumers are a lot more conscious of social issues and can hopefully turn the trend into something more inclusive. For Bridging the Gap and WORT News, I'm Teresa Yen. Today, feature contributor Harry Richardson reviews two new movies. On the silver screen, the Batman swoops in to be a worthy addition to the long-running series. And on the small screen is The Kingsman, the third movie in a series of spy action-adventure stories. That was a clip from the trailer for The Batman, co-written and directed by Matt Reeves. This is a grim action thriller that is a worthy addition to the Batman franchise. Robert Pattinson is okay as this version of The Batman in year two of his career, but the rest of the cast is more interesting and, let's face it, better actors. Gotham City itself has never been darker, literally most of the film is shot in the dark and the bleak November rain is omnipresent and oppressive. The Batman, portrayed here for nearly three hours, almost never lets up on the action and the bleakness. Batman is still stuck in a corrupt, crime-infested city with very few allies. The most reliable being Police Lieutenant James Gordon, Jeffrey Wright, and Alfred, Andy Serkis, Batman's aide and Bruce Wayne's butler. Then there is the more ambiguous character, Selina Kyle, a.k.a. Catwoman, Zoe Kravitz, who is attracted to Batman but has her own agenda. Our core villain is a mysterious masked man who kills prominent people who aren't what they seem to be, leaving notes with clues for the Batman. A dark reimagining of the Riddler, a too innocent-looking Paul Dano. John Turturro does a fine job here as a top mobster, as does Colin Farrell, almost unrecognizable as the Penguin, the manager of a mob-run nightclub. Peter Sarsgaard is convincing as a flawed district attorney. The twist here is the Riddler, serial killer, thinks he's Batman's partner, just seeking vengeance on the rich and powerful who are corrupt. As Batman takes down Gotham City's criminals, the Riddler sees himself as showing the citizens of Gotham the truth behind the lies. In one particularly disturbing scene, the Riddler's acolytes take up arms, and one says when asked who he is, 
I'm vengeance, unconsciously aping the righteous line of Batman earlier in the film. This all does not go unnoticed by the Batman, who sees glimmers of what the city needs beyond what he has to give, beyond his version of vengeance. Greg Frazier should be noted here for his cinematography, which almost makes the city another character in the movie, and the eerie score by Michael G. Kino sets the story's mood. All in all, a fine addition to the Batman franchise. Check it out for some fine action scenes, one outstanding car chase, and the interaction of its fine cast. Oh, and maybe Robert Pattinson will grow into the role. See it on the big screen if you can do so safely. Now for a lighter-hearted adventure story set in Europe of World War I. We are the first independent intelligence agency. Refined but brutal. Civilized but merciless. Welcome to the club. That was a clip from the trailer for The Kingsman, co-written and directed by Matthew Vaughn. Vaughn directed the first two films in the series. If you like the first one, you'll probably like this one. I haven't seen number two because of its bad reviews, but I may reconsider that. I was slow to watch this prequel because of its 42% critic rating on the tomato meter, but it received a whopping 80% from the audience reviews. Once again, I agree with the audience. This movie is fun, action-packed, and has a lot of heart. No one should take the ridiculous plot to start World War I seriously, but it does make a good story. The main three rulers, England's King George, Germany's Kaiser Wilhelm, and Russia's Tsar Nicholas, really were cousins who reportedly looked a lot alike. Having Tom Hollander play all three was inspired. This is the story of how the secret spy agency came to be because of the World War I deaths in battle of the sons of British royalty, not to mention millions of regular Brits and those poor draftees from the British colonies. Duke Orlando Oxford, the always great Ralph Finnis, has become a pacifist. After his experience overseas, he's working with the Red Cross to provide aid. This ends tragically with the death of his spouse and his pledge to protect their son. Flash forward, and that son, Conrad Harris Dickinson, has grown up. He has been trained in combat by Shola Jima Hasu and cared for by his nanny, Polly Gemma Artinson. Shola and Polly, of course, are more than they seem to be. The Duke is called on to protect Archduke Ferdinand, and our real story begins. All in all, fun action-adventure spy movie. Well worth checking out. It recently started playing on Hulu. For WRT's Monday Movie Review, I'm Harry Richardson. Thanks, Harry. We've come to the end of another hour of handcrafted local news here on WORT. But before we go, Helena and Rob have an important message for you. Yes, it's the winter pledge drive, and Helena and I are asking you to support the local news on WORT. It's been a little slow this past half hour, but several of you can still go to the phones in the last five minutes. We'd love to see a handful of pledges come in here and have people to thank in the last couple of minutes. You just got the uh, movie reviews there and the uh, the fashion reviews as well. Um Call and support handcrafted local news, as we call it. This is news produced almost entirely by volunteers with just a single uh, paid person in the form of the uh, producer working on the show every day. Uh, It's pretty remarkable that we can turn out 60 minutes of produced news. That takes a lot of person time. So give us a call at 256-2001 and keep your news uh, independent of commercial influence. Or you can go to WORT 
www.lifefm.org and pledge online by clicking on the donate button. At the $25 level, we have the WRT bumper sticker, which is a really handsome, very colorful bumper sticker. At the $45 level, we have the Progressive Magazine subscription, or you can get a Mindless Minion membership card from Melon Floyd, or the Madison, the Illustrated Sesquicentennial. Centennial. Sesquicentennial. I can't say that. Sesquicentennial. Thank you. So those are at the $45 level, or at the $60 level, we have a travel mug. And I want to let you know that the red and white tote bag is gone. That's at the $100 level. So, But we still have some more of the lovely green leatherette retro airline bag. It is so handsome, and it's at the $120 level. And call in before I snatch that up. 256-2001, <laughs> give us a handful of pledges right here at the end of the, uh, end, end of the hour. This is quite an hour of local news. Uh, if you've listened to the news for many years, years, as Helen and I have both uh, done, you'll notice that the quality of this news has increased steadily it over has. the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we really ask you to support the amount of work that goes in from the volunteers who produce this news show every day. And with that, we're going to turn it back over to volunteer Rachel to send us out of here. Thanks so much. And that does it for our show. Thanks for listening to WORT's live local news at 6. Your headline writer tonight was Emily Flick. Thanks to our special in-studio guests, Helena White and Rob McClure. Special thanks to feature contributors Harry Richardson and Teresa Yen, and to Nicholas Leap for technical production. Engineer Dave Lawrenson got the news on the air. Nate Weggehout produced this newscast. And Sholly Pittman is the news director at WORT. I'm your host, Rachel Fields. Up next is the most free-form show on the radio dial, The Access Hour. Coming up after these announcements. Good night.